Welcome to 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. And I'm Mike Tresca. We're a married couple who decide to celebrate our 50th birthdays by watching some old movies. A lot of old movies. Join us as we watch 50 movies on our date nights and have fun dissecting them. As a bonus, each episode is accompanied by an original character I created and designed for use in your tabletop role-playing games. Many of the movies we watch are unrated, but this podcast is not. 50 Date Night Screams contains mature themes and is intended for adult audiences, so take care when listening. Plus, there are spoilers. Check the show notes to see where you can watch this movie before you listen. We're glad you're here. Have a seat, grab a glass of your favorite beverage, and get ready to scream along with us. Don't you think we should have waited until somebody got here? It's not very correct to enter someone's house. Well, Ernest is down below. He said he has something to repair on the coach. Anyway, there's a body that has to be taken care of. Welcome to episode 27 of 50 Date Night Screams. I'm Amber Tresca. I'm here with my co-host, Mike. Hey, Mike, what is going on? Hello, beautiful. I'm, uh... I'm sorry to disappoint everybody. <laughs> the name of this episode is the best part of this. It's all downhill from there. So, Yeah, so the movie is The Vampire's Night Orgy Woo! from 1973. So I believe it is the word orgy that Mike is referring to when he says that it is not as fun as the title might imply. That is completely true. Um, the orgy is one of those words that has a cultural significance to it that is not in sort of the Webster's Dictionary uh, definition, which I don't have in front of me. I didn't look it up because that's fucking boring. So I didn't do that. Um, but it's yeah. funny because this has come up in Dungeons and Dragons where orgy, old timey references the word orgy is carousing is orgy of violence is a phrase we hear a lot so it definitely has a different tone and modern times we don't use it that way so yeah there's definitely sort of uh even presumably either because of the translation or because it was the 70s when the movie took place um it the the tone and the terms meaning have changed for sure right i would never use the term orgy to mean anything other than uh a, a sexual situation like never yeah. you just you just wouldn't even if that you are technically able to in any case yeah who knows about the translation i did not look that up because i don't care all right content <laughs> warnings uh -oh. i will say <laughs> that we have blood and gore um there is a child that dies which mm -hmm. is a big thing for me and I've come to understand recently that it's a big thing for other people as well that I wasn't aware of because it is in so many movies, uh, so many that we actually have never seen because of that. There is violence, um, as you might expect about a movie that is about vampires. There is also a person who, how would you phrase this, Mike? Uh, watches another person, spies on another person. Voyeurism. Voyeurism, okay. I mean, peeping Tom is sort of the old, older phrase, but voyeurism is probably the right phrase. 
phrase, I think. Right. There's so there's there's voyeurism in this. There is Did we mention nudity? There is some guys. Oh, I'm there's sorry. nudity. I mean, it is an orgy. Yes, there <laughs> is nudity. It's called an orgy, but you know, you get some. <laughs> right. There is there's also a sex scene. I guess. They've <laughs> uh yeah. Um, and the version on YouTube absolutely includes all of this. It's an age-restricted video. I don't know how that's handled if you actually tell YouTube your your age and it is under 18. I don't know, because I was just watching it and went, oh, okay, the nudity is in it. All right, this movie is from 1973, the year of my birth. Oh, no. <laughs> Which is interesting. It is rated R. It is in color. The director is Leon Klimovsky. I think is how you would say that. It has a 4.8 out of 10 on IMDb. Kind of seems a little low. I think that may have been because, as you mentioned, Mike, people think that orgy meant something else. Yeah. And there was some disappointment. Yeah. It is one hour and 24 minutes long. So for me, 90-minute horror movie, perfect. Any longer than that, and I am sometimes out. Uh, so one hour and 24 minutes was fine. So that's hilarious. 84 minutes? One hour that's and really... 24 minutes. Which is yeah, 80, yeah, 80, 84 that's minutes. That's like the, one I of the add. shortest I think. Like, I feel like we've gotten to... Well, no, we've seen some that were just over an hour, right? No, so this is, many this of is, these movies are about an hour, especially the yeah. ones that are from the 30s and 40s. So this is this sort of the is more modern... The longer, it's more of a yeah. modern mm-hmm. movie length, I think. Yeah, yeah. All right. Hilarious tagline. When the moon is up, the fun begins. All right, these guys knew exactly what they were doing when they called this orgy of violence. <laughs> I mean, orgy of vampires. They knew exactly what they were doing with that phrase. There's no way they didn't. Yeah, possibly. I... <laughs> I don't know. All right. Let's go into it. Uh, The movie starts with all of these stills of a village. It's in a hilly area. I guess it's supposed to be the mountains. It is European. We get that right away because the buildings are old. They're stone. We don't have anything like that here in the States. So we know immediately. And this was filmed in Spain, I, I believe. It's a Spanish movie. Some of the actors are other nationalities, so, but presumably filmed somewhere in Spain. And then we move on to scene in a burial ground where we see a coffin as being lowered into a grave. Makes sense, given the name of the movie. The rope breaks. Oh no, the coffin breaks open. And we see a rotting corpse in a very advanced state. It is covered in maggots and earthworms. And all of the mourners run away at this point. And this is when two minutes into the movie, if that, I turned to Mike and said, Mike, do you normally see maggots and earthworms? First of all, in corpses. And then also inhabiting the same space. No. (laughs) No. I mean, I don't know how to say it It, other than they are very fond of it it probably visually breaks it up because maggots are just kind of a white crawling mass. If you throw a worm, an earthworm in there, it's it's interesting. But no, I'm not saying it's not possible uh, because, you know, earthworms might be in the soil and but, you know, maggots generally are there at a different stage and then earthworms later. Um, But boy, this comes up a few times. I feel like at least three where we see both of these sets of worms. 
Uh, I don't know why we're even talking about this because it doesn't necessarily warrant that much interest other than they're trying to be super gross. And it works because uh, that's gross. It was it, definitely super gross. Something very visceral, I think, about yeah. seeing maggots. And I think that's because when you see a maggot, if you saw a maggot in your food, you would know that it was bad and you shouldn't eat it. And so it's right. the lizard brain, I think. Anyway, I didn't look that up either. I'm just talking. All right. So <laughs> now we move to the next scene. The movie has started properly and we see a bus driving through this bucolic countryside and we go on board the bus. We find out from the people that they are new employees of some sort of an estate. So one of them is a gardener, one's a chauffeur, etc. And they've got a hundred kilometers left to go to drive before they get to this estate to start their new jobs. On the bus, there's a couple of young men. There's a young woman. There's a middle-aged woman. There's a school-aged girl. And there's a couple middle-aged men. All right. Now, an exciting incident happens. The bus driver suddenly keels over. He's dead. They stop the bus because they want to figure it out. The little girl leaves the bus, goes outside to play. She comes across a little boy, little boy in the middle of nowhere, and she's playing with him. The boy suddenly disappears, and the girl comes back to the bus, and one of the men is like, ha-ha, you have such an imagination, there's no boy here, and of course people can't disappear. So right away, somebody's not believing what the little girl is telling them. I can identify with that. And then also, uh, there's a weird incident, so something supernatural may or may not be happening. So now, uh, the group, uh, soldiers on. They put the corpse in the back of the bus. As one does. Driving, as one does. I mean, all right. But then they see a sign for a town that's only 10 kilometers away. They're, bl- they're a bit split about this decision, but they decide to go to the closer town because they have to deal with this corpse. All right, Mike, there's something that I noticed that you may not have because w- I've watched this movie at least three times. Um, Bless you. At, right? So... When we see these wide shots of the bus driving through the countryside, it appears as if it is empty, that there are not like seven people and a girl on this bus. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't even know that it's the same bus. And I briefly thought about going back and looking at it a couple different times to figure it out. And then I was like, I don't really care that much. But clearly they had a mostly empty bus and were filming that. And then they filmed the interiors differently. Right, so but somebody was driving it, right? There's just nobody else seemed to be in the bus, in the passenger seats? Is that what you're There saying? was somebody driving, but there was nobody else on the bus. Like, you could right. see through the windows, and there yeah. didn't appear to be other people. I think if there were more adults on the bus, you would have seen, so, like, faces in the window. And then yeah. also, oh, now I'm thinking about the luggage, is that I think there was a bunch of luggage on the top. Was it always the, I don't know, the luggage may have come and gone as well. And it's not a big bus either like it's funny because like you think of it as this big like double decker you know but they're they're sort of on top of each other and like it's not a lot of spots in the bus which is also all the more hilarious when they toss the corpse to the back of the bus because it's uh you're right next to him wherever you sit <laughs> it's kind of like a sprinter van almost like yeah. almost that maybe a little bit bigger but the kind of like small tour bus or party bus that you might get for like a wedding or something right. like that except it's like a 1970s bus, so it's not that mm-hmm. nice. All right. So they get to this village that's 10 kilometers away. They leave the driver's body on the bus, <laughs> which is hilarious. They find a bar. They go in. It's empty. 
They decide they're going to help themselves, though, to the food, the wine, and the lit fireplace. Roaring fire in the fireplace warm themselves up. And there's also rooms upstairs. They help themselves to all of that, even though there's nobody there. All right, so they're standing around in the tavern, and a man comes in the front door. They're all surprised. They turn around like, eek! And so that's like the first jump scare of the movie, right? Uh, or actually the second. The maggots in the earth room is the first. Uh, the man is a tourist. He says, I've been looking around the town. I can't find anybody either. His name is Lewis. All right, they go upstairs to the rooms. They decide to stay the night. They're like hotel rooms. And at this point is when this man, Lewis, is in the room next to the young woman. Her name is Alma. And he starts spying on her through the wall because there is a comically large peephole in the wall that in his room, it's in the wardrobe. And in her room, it's in the middle, like legit the middle of a painting of like a, a, t a tower of some kind. <laughs> All right. And this is where the full nudity comes into play because he's watching her and she, of course does not get undressed the way any woman in the history of ever has gotten undressed. She just undresses and brushes her hair totally naked. You know, we all do that. Just don't well, want to What was the phrase <laughs> that I used? <laughs> Sorry, I this movie is boring. Here's some boobs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we can use that so many times in this series of movies. Sorry, this is getting a little boring. Here's some boobs. Not only boobs, but also bush. You get the whole deal. This lady. I don't even remember that. And that goes to show you, like, wow, if I missed that, I, that's sad. But okay. I did. Yeah. Cause she, I guess she sort of just immediately disrobes. And he, of course, immediately looks through. Yes. And it is funny because I forgot this, but Luis is not really part of the group. So he's a little bit of an independent agent. He came in a different vehicle. Um, and he's sort of in the same circumstances, but he's a little bit apart, which I think is important for their little this bizarro relationship that's to come because if they knew each other they'd be co-workers in theory yes there is absolutely i can't even think of alma having a conversation with one of the other people on the bus like after they get off the bus i don't think she ever has a conversation with anyone else N yeah. none of the other men they, they don't seem interested in her at mm -hmm. all so uh so at this point <laughs> i'm thinking about this the dead driver on the bus and you're kind of watching what they're doing and you're saying wow what they're doing isn't cool but also i'm a little bit like what would they have done differently like truly what would like what would you have done differently i don't i don't even know they needed to stay somewhere they needed to stop maybe you should have gotten the driver off the bus but where would you have put him like i don't really know so i'm kind of like maybe the way they behaved was okay <laughs> Well, it is funny because they go to one room. I mean, maybe it happens off screen, but they sort of come into like the main area and go, well, nobody's here. Oh, it looks like they'll be back soon. I mean, they do make a comment that with the fire and the food, and I think there's like a cigar or something's in like an ashtray. They were like, somebody was here very recently. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So I think yeah. there's a vibe that they figure they'll be back soon. I mean, I don't blame them for not carrying the corpse around town yelling, you know, anybody want to, you know, no. a dead body. So I get that, but it does. The way it's filmed, it feels like they're just sort of really casually okay with, A, a dead body, and B, completely taking advantage of 
what's going on there. You know, now maybe this is a European sensibility versus American. I don't know. Maybe it's a 70s versus modern sensibility. So there's lots of other factors at play. Um, but it is one of those things you're like, man, they got real comfortable after witnessing someone dying, nearly crashing, by the way. So that was scary, too. Kid sees a crazy thing. Uh, everybody's super chill with all their circumstances at the moment, which, of course, is you know necessary to do the setup for the rest of the horror that's to come. Yeah, of course. All right. So now we see that one of the older men, his name is his name is Ernesto or Ernesto. And he's passed out in the bar. <laughs> As one does. After the day he had, who yeah. can blame him? Yeah. All right. So he hears noises outside. He goes out to check on the bus. He sees the body of the bus driver is gone. So now he's wandering around town. He's smoking a cigarette, as one does, obviously. Now is when a bunch of people come out of the dark and they corner him. Kind of the slow motion corner situation. He does try to get away. But they overcome him and they bite him all over. A little bit different than what we usually see, I think, in vampire movies. And what I want to talk about is the teeth, is the vampire teeth. They're not like big fang vampire teeth that we're used to seeing. They're not like Interview with the Vampire Teeth. They're not like Bram Stoker vampire teeth. So I'm not really sure what they were doing here. It was kind of like the people were just kind of like baring their teeth. Some of them had kind of like little pointy, but even humans, some humans have like, I don't know, more pointy canines. Like it could have just been. I do. Right. Yeah. Like, well, so it's just interesting to me that that visual shorthand of here are gigantic fangs doesn't really happen at this point. The, there's the name of the movie, which is called The Vampire's Night Orgy. So you're like, okay, they're vampires. But, and that they're biting him but they're biting in a way that's not usual the only time i've ever seen that was in the movie version of interview with the vampire where they're on state they're at the um, Mm -hmm. theater of the vampires and all the vampires attack a young woman on stage and they all attack her at once i think that's the only other time i've seen it done quite that way in a movie yeah and you've got two factors here one um which we've said with a few of the other early vampire films this is early in vampire movie lore um the hammer films i think were probably around the same time or maybe but you know not necessarily what about all clear. like the the vampire hunter movies of that time like bella lugosi and all of that like yeah i don't think they i mean I, i'm not saying that they weren't around that time because i think that yeah. was 60s um or 50s right. but they're not i don't think they sort of were fully ascendant certainly you know because these are european films uh maybe not as influential so that's one thing the other thing that i think to your point about the scene is it's very reminiscent of night of the living dead so there's a lot yeah. of sort of Wait. like faces and, and that was was that 69 it was before Man this film. Dead? I have to okay. check yeah. exactly. I feel but, like it was um, late sixties. Yeah, or even so, early seventies. Yeah, I, no, I think it was before this. But okay. um, yeah, you're right. All that Same said, thing. which is a zombie movie. Neither Correct. Movie, that's a zombie. They movie. Yeah. not necessarily distinguishing, right? So the idea because it's never really like we're not really clear. Do they drink blood? Eat, like what exactly they do? There's a little bit about food, which we'll get into as to who eats what. But it, it's to your point. I don't think it's ever said that they they the villagers need to drink blood. We just know they bite people. So, but the the faces and the clawing and the grabbing of the face is very Night of the Living Dead. So that seemed to me to be the bigger influence. So yeah, we keep still we're still waiting for the vampires to show up. Right, <laughs> we got right, a right. hungry mob, but no no vampire esque 
characters yet. I think there's people in here that are coming, but not yet. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. All right. So it's the next morning now. Alma wakes up in her bed in her room. There's a woman sitting on her bed just looking at her with like a tray of breakfast. And Alma's like, all right. And doesn't say anything like, what are you doing here? Nothing like that. She just like eats the food. I guess this woman in the credits is called the maid or something like that. All right. So the rest of the people in her group are down in the tavern already. Now there's a bunch of townspeople down there too. So it's very bustling, uh, you know, tavern atmosphere going on that Alma comes into. All right. Now, you know, the, uh, the mayor enters. He says his name is Boris, but everybody calls him Major. This, see, this gets unnecessarily complicated. Like, why? Like, there's no, I don't understand. Maybe you're missing something. Anyway, he says, I was never in the military, but everybody calls me Major. It's a family name. Like, why is this important? Just call him Boris. I don't know. All right, so he comes over to them and he says, oh, yeah, we all weren't here last night. I'm really sorry. We were all in the cemetery because somebody who lives in the town had died and we were there to see him off. Okay, fine. So, Which is presumably that scene in the beginning, right? I mean, that's yes, the point of what they're the saying. Yes, presumably the scene in the beginning, but I have other thoughts about that as yeah. well. Now, upon my third viewing. All right, so the bartender pulls the mayor aside and he says, look, these people are going to want some meat. We don't have anything. We had some flour, but we don't have any meat. The mayor says, don't worry. The countess will handle it. So there's all this foreshadowing, which is actually kind of a cool part of the movie. And here's here's what I thought of, Mike, that we haven't discussed prior to this because I just thought of it, is about the driver. Was the driver one of the people from this town? And that's why his body was missing. That's why he thought he thought they thought he was dead. Maybe he wasn't. I mean, maybe he was, but he was vampire dead, not like person dead. I don't know. I mean, so again, this movie almost barely deals with daylight. Like, you're never clear if it's night or overcast or whatever. There's some... At the very end, there's a couple of comments about this. But so, you know, I would assume if the guy was a full vampire, this would have impaired his ability to drive because he'd been driving a lot. I felt like maybe he uh, they killed him in some way. Either the boy did it or somebody basically triggered his heart attack with the intent to waylay them and you know bring them into the town. Um, there's definitely a theme that this town causes decay. Uh, the worms are a big hint. Uh, maggots and friends, but there, there's a couple other things too. At, the, at some point, I think there's a part with the bus where it's like weirdly rusted, and you're like, "What the? Heck? I, you know, what happened?" Um, so I think they, they're definitely trying to imply that that the town itself is almost like this sort of slowly decaying, trapped situation. The other thing that that comes out, which is also an interesting, because it, it's it's almost unnecessary otherwise, is not everybody is really happy about what's going on in the town. Right? There's definitely. The townspeople have their own challenges, uh, as we're about to see. So there is a little bit of that, too, where you're like, I'm not sure everybody is, is aligned with how this is supposed to go down. Um, so it's possible that the driver could be in league with them, whether or not he's an actual vampire, and that maybe, you know, who knows what his situation was. Because uh, he he's there's not a lot of lines of dialogue, but he's definitely kind of like, I can drive this bucket of bolts or whatever he calls it. And then, you know, then he has, <laughs> he has a problem. Over. So, But it did feel like that was an attack on them to get them stranded. Yeah. hundred percent. Like there was some, there was something at play here. All right. Now we see this like gigantic townsperson. Like Gigante. In very, the credits. What's he called? What's his name? Gigante. 
Gigante. Which is just giant. Yeah. Just giant. Okay. Yeah. He's yeah. a very big man. He takes his axe. He goes into some outbuilding. There's several men in there. And he says, I'm here on behalf of the Countess, he says. So two men hold a third man down and this giant, he says, you don't need that rotting leg. I didn't see anything wrong with the man's leg. Yeah. He chops the man's leg off. And then there's a cut scene. And this is, this is lovely. I did enjoy this very much. <laughs> and there's a cut scene to a roast mm. on the table. I kind of want and a the, roast now. Yes, and the bus people are eating it, and they're loving it, and they're identifying the spices in it and all of this. And the mayor says, it's a special roast. You can't get it anywhere else. It's only in this part of the country, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, yeah. And and when I say it was great, it was very nice, very well done, definitely put me off, you know, whatever I had thought of eating later in the day. While watching this movie, oh, so. we'll get another. They'll get another pass at that. Don't worry. Yeah, get another, yeah. So for sure. All right, all right. So now the bus people are like, "We gotta go. We gotta get to our job. We were supposed to be there like yesterday." But the mayor's like, "Oh, you can stay. You can stay as long as you want. Whatever, whatever." Uh so then, remember Ernesto? <laughs> Ernesto shows up, comes into the tavern. Bro looks like hell. He has been through something. All right. So he tells one of the other bus people that, and this man's name is Marcos. He says, oh, I dealt with the body. And Marcos is like, okay, great. And then that's it. (laughs) And there's a comment about Ernesto where they're like, where did he go? And they're like, oh, you know, Ernesto, he's like an alcoholic. Like there's a little bit of like, like, you know, so I, again, they, you know, they tried. The script accommodated his initial disappearance because that was the other thing. It was like, dude, that dude wasn't there the next morning. Where did he go? Does nobody care? There's not that many of them. Um, the other thing that comes up a lot is right in the beginning is a dialogue between the different – they're all staff of this household and they're all kind of important, right? And they start comparing themselves like you make more money. Well, you know, I'm a whatever and you're a te- you're the nursemaid and you're the teacher and I'm the, st- I'm the teacher and, you know, I don't make as much money. And there's a lot of that dialogue. So it's one of those things where you would think they would be pretty tight-knit, uh, not the least of which being they need each other because they're like a package deal – to where they're going uh, but they're not they are totally well, not <laughs> we have no idea they all might have met the day they got on the bus to leave yeah we really have no idea all right so they they, they do they try to leave um and we see alma and lewis lewis could have like left by now and he hasn't okay alma and lewis are holding hands and they're talking they're going to make plans to see one another later blah 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 gross <laughs> barf um it's almost worse than the cutscene of the roast all right so the bus won't start shocker and they're stuck there and they're told that, that somebody has to like get on a donkey and go to get parts so <laughs> i guess the bus. point of that is there's no car right i mean lewis has a vehicle there's the bus and that's it right that's the the reason that's they say it. the donkey is there is no other vehicle there's no other vehicle to be had yeah you it is donkey or nothing it's donkey, yeah. donkey yeah. transportation. And another great thing about this movie is that there are very, there are little touches throughout where you see that it is like they do things in a way that I like. How many years later? Fifty years later? Yeah, it was the year I was born. Okay, fifty years later. Oh God. Um, yes. They're they're the way they're going about the tasks, their chores. You see a little bit of it. It is done in a way that probably people did for. 
the past 200 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. The things that are in the buildings, like all of that. So it's very odd also that the countess has like a full face of makeup and you know what I mean? So it's this very, like if there was only a donkey coming in and out of town with supplies for all of these people, like there's just some things that wouldn't be. Yeah, the townsfolk seem medieval, basically, borderline. And then Most the countess them, seems except the countess, yeah. More and, and the major. They seem a little bit more modern. Right. Um presumably because that's how, you know, that's how they roll. They gotta they gotta, you know, trap people or whatever. But it, it is definitely again, there's this timeless sort of time not timeless, time Standing almost going backwards in time kind of right. Yes. Or that they haven't yeah. advanced uh about right. the town and the people. Right. Yes, hundred percent. No, it's perfect. What else can I do? The Countess says you can do your work with only your one arm. <laughs> all right, so now they're all taken to meet the Countess, finally. Uh, she says she's lonely. She's happy that they're there. And she gives Marco some money. At this point... It occurs to me that they're bas- the Countess is basically buying one of the men of the party. His name is Caesar. He, I guess, is going to be the tutor. And he right. says he's going to be tutoring like a couple of young boys at this estate that they're supposedly going to, which, shocker, they never reach. <laughs> Countess is clearly very thirsty. Caesar is the youngest of the men. It does appear to me as though the Countess purchases him from Marcos. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's funny because the beginning conversation right in the beginning is Caesar. I think Caesar is the one saying about salary and he's the one saying, well, you know, as a tutor, I don't get paid as much and you're more valuable and blah, blah, blah. So money is a concern for him. I don't think we understand Caesar and Marcos's relationship, but she she knows the buttons to press. She's like, oh, are you educated in music, sir? Do you know the bard and poetry? And she's like, would you like to stay with me and tell me some theater music or stories or whatever poetry? Yeah. And he's like, yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she absolutely does. It's transactional. I don't think he – I think everybody knew what they were getting involved in. Let's just put it that way. I don't think he – Caesar didn't seem surprised either. Um, by what happened. So, you know, con- cons- consent is important. Yeah, I mean, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, in any case, unsurprisingly, the Countess and Caesar go to bed. And there's this, <laughs> in my notes I've written, that there's some suggestive jazz music. Hmm. As jazz music kind of is. <laughs> 70s in, jazz In general. Music. Uh, there's more nudity, but... I also wrote in my notes that it is kind of boring as sex scenes go. So uh, there's anyway, your orgy, folks. <laughs> there's your orgy. I don't know if the countess got which paid for, but uh, there it is. All right. Caesar falls asleep and he wakes up and the countess is standing over him. And now we get the huge fangs. Countess has some huge fangs on her. She bites him on the neck. 
And then she throws him out the window and all the townspeople are below and they descend on him and they eat him. And he's naked. He's like completely naked. Oh, he's Is he though? Uh, he may have been wearing something, but he's I mostly I thought he was naked. naked when he got thrown he's out the mostly, window. He's they, mostly. It's kind of obscured. Again, I wasn't going to go back and watch that little part like 10 <laughs> times to find out whether he was naked or not. I think he was naked. wearing some boxer shorts or something. Oh, but okay. anyway, yeah. look, we never see we never see any male full frontal only female. But it's a rough time, right? So Caesar is probably having a good time. Wakes up, gets bitten, gets thrown out the window. I don't know how far he falls. It's not a short <laughs> like distance. Like from the second floor. Yeah, like the so second that's, story. that's not a. I think they kind of catch him, but he sort of falls, and then he gets yeah. bitten again. Yeah, and he's screaming. Yeah, he he. It's uh, Caesar had it rough, so. Peace out, man. I mean, he had a good time. He went out a good way, I guess, up to that point. But sorry. Well, but... I don't know. Is it a horror movie if somebody doesn't get punished for having sex? Like, yeah, that's this true. is, you know, that's how yeah, it's fair. supposed mm-hmm. to go. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, again, we see Lewis. It's nighttime, so Lewis is spying on Alma. And this time, though, she puts on her nightgown pretty quickly and brushes her hair with her nightgown on, as opposed to the night before when she was just brushing her hair completely naked. That's how I brush my hair. So I don't Thank know. You. All right. <laughs> anyway, so now Lewis starts knocking on the wall to Alma's room. It's supposed to be playful, I think, because there's this playful little music. And then he puts a note under her door, which says something like, I wanted you to know that someone is watching over you. And he's like, it's not a ghost. It's just your creepy stalker it's guy. just me. <laughs> I've been knocking on the wall. Aww. And I love she's not like, how? <laughs> no, how are you watching over? Just curious. Like, how are you watching over me? And why are you knocking 100%. on my wall? And it's so funny because I keep going back to there's this scene in Cabin in the Woods that is very similar. And I think it's a common trope where yeah. somebody has like a two-way mirror or whatever. And it deals with this so differently from a modern perspective. And it's very funny because it's really, you know, look, there's a temptation to look, right? I get that. But then it, once you know it's there, everybody is sort of, their behavior changes. And none of that happens. Nobody changes their behavior. You would think the fact that he's knocking on the wall where his eyeball is would make her look to see what the hell's going on. Nope. No, none of it. And it's creepy. And the other thing is, is that Alma is a, what would you say, traditionally beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. And so I think also when you're that good looking, I think you would be more on your guard. Like you are used to people hitting on you and that sort of spidey sense just like never seems to come up for her about Lewis. Yeah, there's a lot of these characters that seem to have their own arcs, and they don't seem to cross. Yeah. Like, they just some, it seem like they're in their own separate worlds. So there's that, there's that whole thing between Lewis and Alma. There's the mom and the daughter situation. And then there's sort of everybody else. Um, and all three of them almost never, and they do occasionally, but they really don't seem to interact in a way that makes you go, oh, these people live in this world and they, you know, <laughs> care about what else is going on. Uh, well, again, not uncommon for horror movies that are sort of trying to get to murdering and eating and, and other stuff, but it is a little bit disconnected for sure. All right. So now it's still nighttime, second night. So Ernesto lures the two other men from the bus outside. Okay. They all get in the bus and the other two men are attacked by the villager vampires in Bitten, again, in the same way, mass biting, pulling at their mouths and their faces and all of that. 
That's ter- that's probably to me the most disturbing yeah. of the sort of murders. Somebody like the... fully putting their fingers in your mouth and pulling, like yeah, hundred percent disturbing. And okay. it's weird because it's not super gross or it's just like prolonged and awful. Something it just really about is. it. Yeah. Something yeah. about it. I don't know. Yeah, I just ugh. don't like don't put your own fingers in your mouth. <laughs> Else's like fingers? I don't care if you bite me. I don't care about the maggots. I don't care about eating human flesh. But Ugh, do not do put not your fingers in my put mouth. Fingers in somebody else's <laughs> mouth. Ugh. All right. So the next morning, Lewis, he's so romantic. This man, he grabs Alma in the hallway, like puts his hand over her mouth, pulls her into his room, like terrible. And then he's like, "Something's not right. No fucking shit, asshole." Okay. <laughs> So he tells her he heard the bus start up in the night. He saw the two men get into the bus, and then he saw that they never came out, okay? And he's looked around this morning, and he can't find anyone. So basically, like, he's also, like, a coward, right? Because he did nothing. He saw all of this and did nothing about it except, like, tell Alma about it. He seems to be the only one who notices anything, too, right? I mean, like, you have a pretty big group. And they are surprisingly unaware of what each other's doing. Uh, you know, like I said, we'll start with Ernesto. Fine, he's an alcoholic that everybody thinks just goes off and gets drunk and sleeps it off somewhere. No one else has that excuse. And uh, no one seems to care except Louis. Louis. So, okay. Um, but it is weird. He seems to be like protagonist who comes in on his... He's not even part of the bus. He's, he's got his own vehicle. He came in separately. Uh, it took me a while. Uh, you know, on the second viewing, I finally caught... I was like, oh, he's actually got nothing to do with this. He's just another person in his own plot. That happened to be involved. Um, so I guess he's the one who gets plot sense and goes, well, that's not right. Yeah. Well, I mean, he saw what happened. And then also, like, why wouldn't you go? Eh, whatever. But it also seems to me that he is okay with all of the other men being slowly picked off because that leaves him with Alma. Yeah. Like, that's yeah, what it's occurs to Literally, me. like, every man for himself, literally, and that he feels like he's claimed Alma. And if they're good... And if you know, they all not just disappear, else. whatever happens, mm-hmm. it's fine. All right. Mm-hmm. All right. We finally see the girl again. Her name is Violet. And she's playing with the same boy again from 10 kilometers back, by the way. Okay. So they're playing and then they watch the gigantic man go back. Gigante. Gigante go, back, go by again. Gigante looks at the boy. Okay. This disappearing boy. So he... Full on sees him. All right. So, but the, but uh, Gigante, he's on a mission. He goes and finds this man who is sharpening his axe. Okay. Gigante's axe. Sharpening his axe. And then he says, I'm here on behalf of the Countess. The man hands his axe to to Gigante. So he, he, let's call him Bob. Okay. Bob sharpens the axe, sharpening the axe, (laughs) hands it over to Gigante. And the Gigante chases him with this axe that he just sharpened. It's hilarious. All right, so Gigante is chasing Bob, chases him upstairs in some room that's just like a bunch of crap or whatever. The girl is, the little girl's hiding up there. So Violet's hiding up there. Gigante chops off Bob's arm and Violet sees the whole thing. Doesn't say anything. To her credit, she's like, I'm staying out of this. And at this point, I'm like, where's, uh, I think her name is Raquel. Violet's mom, Raquel. Where is Raquel? What does Raquel have to do that she is not with her daughter? There's a bunch of men around bunch of men around that you don't know it's a weird place you're just letting her go do whatever 
1970s parenting for you, I guess. Yeah, and and this started in the beginning because they got off the bus and they were like, hey, take the girl out because we have a dead body. And there's a little dialogue between her and I don't know who. One of the the... men takes her off the bus and and watches her for a minute. And again, what is Raquel doing? Right, but that's my point is like the mom doesn't do it. (laughs) They're like, eh. Again, they could have established that this group sort of takes care of Violet as a as a group because they are all sort of in this together, but they don't really establish any of that. So you're just like, I don't know who does anything. No. Um, But this is also established. This scene specifically establishes that the villagers are not all on board with this. Right. So first of all, everybody (laughs) keeps seeing, they seem to be literally cannibalizing the people they need between chopping off legs and arms of people who demonstrably do a useful thing. I don't know how this guy's supposed to sharpen axes in the future. So it's weird, but I I think there's a feeling that I think the folks that they turn, the bus people, as we call them, will replace these villagers, I'm guessing. Maybe. I don't know, because it seems like not a winning strategy um, to keep feeding and faking that uh, this meat, which they obviously don't eat normally, is coming from somewhere. Because they don't have, they seem they don't seem to have cows, they don't seem to have anything. So there's this vibe that the villagers don't eat. The countess doesn't seem to eat except, you know, people blood maybe the you know the villagers eat other people who are alive they don't eat you know normal meat i guess because they don't have it um and the boy is a weird case right so he seems to be like a ghost presence that sort of shows up and um he wants to play with the little girl he also seems kind of afraid of things so it's sort of an interesting story that comes out you never really get the full story but it seems like there's this curse or some kind of tragedy that happened around the town and we really don't know what's going on other than these townspeople are trapped uh, as much as the bus people are because they're being served up as meals for visitors right yeah it's all there's a lot going on in this movie (laughs) all right so now alma and lewis are in the tavern they're eating the arm presumably and the mayor doesn't eat anything, and he makes this big show of how I don't eat that much. I'm old. And he yeah. only drinks from his own special bottle. All right. And here's where this comes in. It's kind of a small moment, but sort of really important. He pours something from his special bottle. It's only, it's bottled here. This is all I drink. It looks a lot like a Bloody Mary, but maybe it's supposed to be actual blood. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is our first, like, real... And he does it right in front of Alma and Lewis, which is a little weird. It's kind of like, like you're showing your hand almost. And why? You didn't have to do that. It wasn't necessary. Did you just want to terrorize that? Maybe you just wanted to terrorize them. I don't know. I actually don't know what this guy's purpose is. I don't know. I mean, other than talking a lot, he doesn't really seem to do much. It's Again, like the Countess doesn't seem to be doing a lot of this stuff. So like that, some of the points he's making, I can see the Countess doing. He sort of doesn't do it. So he's just weird. And and like you said, I I do love his like, you know, as you get older, you don't have to eat. I was like, that's great. I would love that. Let me know when that kicks in. (laughs) All right. So, all right. Alma finds a finger in her food. Oops. Oops! She starts screaming, and I'm. What is this a McDonald's? (laughs) (laughs) What is this a chops? (laughs) Oh man! Oh boy! So, and and when I say screaming, I mean when I was listening to this movie because I was watching it with my headphones on, uncomfortable loudness of screaming. Okay, Lewis is like, "Oh no, it's all fine. It's fine. It's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing." And the mayor kind of freaks out. And goes, oh, it was an accident. And then you see Alma, she's trying not to burf. All right. So then 
we see the bartender. The bartender and the mayor go in the back into the kitchen. This gross, nasty kitchen thing that's in the back. And they come back out again, and the bartender is missing his middle finger, and there is a bandage over his hand, and it's all bloody. By the way, on the way in, he had all of his fingers. <laughs> so I, I don't understand... His finger, that could not have been his finger in Alma's food, but they tell Alma there was an accident right. in the kitchen. They seem to be covering it up. What the fuck for? Right. Why? That, that's the weirdest thing is like, why are they covering? I mean, I get, I actually get it. Right. So they, so they screwed up. Gigante and his, you know, <laughs> arm separation process didn't work out great. The chef didn't do it right. I get all that. Then they have to cover it up rapidly by making the bartender sacrifice another finger again this is now three people they've maimed in the service of trapping these folks if the indeed they did chop off his finger not certain because yeah. it was kind of like you just saw like his hand yeah he could have faked it. who knows it could have been faked but who knows i don't but know he did the, way, the way distressed. they're going they seem like they just got chopped they off probably just whatever. cut it off yeah <laughs> and there was something else that i noticed at this point which was a little weird. I have no idea where to go with this, and I didn't even look it up. But several of these townspeople have very large goiters. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> well, and I go back to, because it really sticks. It's so funny, because I think the first time I saw this, I didn't even remember what happened. Uh, the, the, there's somebody who falls into this you know, as being lowered into the grave. And when it opens, there's this rapid decay of a person and people flip out so those those are three yeah. important data points right one is they can die uh two is when the grave opens up the the coffin opens up it's it's an advanced decay and the third piece is they freak out when they see it they sort of go running so i'm assuming that these folks are on borrowed time um that the essentially the town is sort of it's it's certainly infested in some way, shape, or form, and these these people who are only too happy to eat other people uh, themselves are sort of going to be worm food at some point. But I don't know. I mean, again, I'm we're projecting tremendously because it's it's so some of these scenes just seem to be gross for gross sake, and you're like, I don't know, maybe we've got something got lost in the translation to why they're showing these scenes. They cer certainly doubled down on the the body horror of eating people. Yeah, multiple right. times. Which. In a movie about vampires, didn't really need to be there. Really, didn't need to be that aspect of it as well. Like, it could just be vampires. You don't yeah. need to be cannibalized cannibals as well. All right. So now <laughs> we go back to Lewis. Lewis is fussing with his car. He sees that some line in the car has been cut. It's been severed clearly. And then he tells Alma, "We got to get out of town, but we have to wait until night." I don't know why, because um, they're watching us. All right, now we see that there is somebody in Lewis's room. They're in Alma's room. Somebody is in Lewis's room using the spy hole and spying on Lewis and Alma having this conversation. Lewis, so smart, right? Why wouldn't you have this conversation in your room, not Alma's room? All right, so Lewis and Alma make a plan. They're going to go and get Raquel and Violet, and they're going to leave in the middle of the night. So now we go back to Raquel and Violet, and Raquel says, I'm leaving. Um, Violet, you stay here. She says, all right, mom. All right. By the way, this girl, I would put her at about nine or 10 is where, is how old I would say she was. So the boy comes by and says, let's go play. Violet says, okay. So they go, they're playing in the graveyard. And then all of the villagers, uh, the sun is going down. And then all the villagers are coming back. Violet sees this through the gates of the graveyard. And, uh, they're playing. 
Violet is trying to hide from the villagers and the boy is trying to keep her from screaming or moving or going anywhere and he actually ends up suffocating her in the process. And then he drags her body into a grave and he's bur- he buries her as only like, and he appears younger. I would put him at like six, seven maybe, but he is upset. He's crying. Okay, so he did not mean to kill her at all. All right, so the mother, Raquel, she's looking for Violet, and she's in a crypt. She finds, like, a crypt under one of the buildings, and we see, finally, like, normal vampire behavior. The Countess comes out of a sarcophagus, where presumably she's been sleeping in during the day, and she chases Raquel. Raquel runs up to her room, because why wouldn't you? And who's waiting in her room but the two men who got on the bus and were attacked the night before, so her two compatriots, who are now vampires, and they attack her in the same kind of way, biting her all over. Now we see Raquel. She's now, I guess, a vampire. So she goes into the graveyard. She sees Violet's arm. The little boy has not buried her fully. So she sees her arm, like, sticking out of the dirt. And she drags Violet's body away to where we don't know. That's the end of Raquel and Violet. And this is, there's a whole thing with burying the doll, right? I feel like there was where they were like, let's yeah, play. The little and boy was like, like, let's bury your doll. Okay. Right. So that is seems to me again assuming that everything is with intent here, uh, indicative of sort of this whole idea that the boy could be dead. I don't know, but he doesn't seem to know how to play. Let's put it that way because there's a little bit of a dispute of like, why are you burying my doll? Let's bury the doll, and then of course then she gets buried, being the the a doll herself in the context of all this. I guess so. Yeah, but what I don't understand, all so many things. Um, I can write a list. But this boy can disappear, yet he's hiding, and then he's hiding from the mom, and he's hiding. It's like, but he can disappear. Look, we yeah. never get any answers about who this boy is or any anything. We have no idea. We have no idea. Again, is there some cultural thing in Spain that we just don't know about? But again, it's a movie about vampires. You did not need to add this element of a boy. You also didn't need to have a little girl in the story at all. Yeah. When you get on the bus, you will find that the body of the driver is not there. I took care of that. You've taken a load off my mind. I didn't know how I was going to present the problem to them. No one pays for hospitality with the dead one. Later on, you can tell me how you arranged it. For my part, you could have cooked and eaten the poor bastard. So now we go back to Lewis and Alma. Lewis says, we got to go now. We can't look for anybody else. Okay. Once again, he just seems to be really shitty and he just wants Alma to himself. (laughs) All right, they're driving away, and the vampires are shambling after them. They're attacking the car. They're trying to keep them from leaving. They're uh, breaking the windows of the car. And what happens here is that all the roads, so the exits to the town, have been blocked. So the vampires have put, like, furniture and just, like, hay bales and other stuff. And the car can't get out, and Lewis is kind of trying to drive. And it is very fraught. It is a very tense scene where they're trying to to get away and all and the windows are being broken etc um but finally lewis just drives this car through one of the barricades and they get away but anyway so there's one last jump scare because of course who is in the back seat the countess but the countess so the countess pops up she's in the back seat alma loses her shit alma stabs the countess several times finally alma does something with what 
I still don't. It looks like a piece of wood. I've watched it three I, when times. I, the second time I watched it, I thought it was a piece of wood, which would make it a steak, which was interesting. But I was like, why well, would she have a piece of wood in her hand? Here's what I'm going to say. When they were driving through the barrier or whatever, or when the, when the windows were being broken, maybe some piece of wood got into the car. Something got mm-hmm. into the car. So she almost stabs the Countess with something. Does it have to be wood? I don't know. We're we're putting that on it because that's what we know of vampire. But it's not an, like it's not clear to me. It's not a knife. I feel like it would be mentioned it's if not, it was. No, 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 or, no. And it's not yeah, very big either. Yeah, it's weird. But anyway, I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's weird. She stabs her several times, and Lewis is like, "Oh, stop stabbing her!" And whatever. <laughs> we so, need. We need her. He's very much like. <laughs> yeah, he's like, we need her. He's like, we need her because oh my gosh, it was always dark in this town, and so these creatures there could only live in the dark, and la la la. But then as they're driving, they turn around, and it happens again. The body of the Countess is decaying. Just like in the beginning. It's Look, see how it came maggots. all around? Just like in the beginning. Yeah. Full circle. Maggots and earthworms in the back of the car. All right. So they drive to a police station. That is reasonable. Yes. Let's do that. <laughs> and the police are, like, showing them a map, and they're like, there's no village where you're saying there's a village. There's nothing there. Finally, the police are like, all right, all right, let's go drive back there and I'll, we'll just show you, you know. So they do drive back there with the police. There is nothing there. There's no village there. Lewis and Alma, they don't even have any more dialogue for the rest of the movie. They're just like, ah, they're just standing there like, I don't even know what. Okay. So, but the very last thing we see is the bus. The bus looks like it has been there for 50 years. It is all rusted and inoperable to the point where they clearly didn't notice it. It was that right. decayed and looking like it belonged into the background. Which is weird because th- that is the other thing you would think they would use as evidence, right? We were there. It's not just <laughs> these horrible things happen. Uh, our bus broke down. There are now several missing people. Police, I would be lovely if you could care about the missing people. Um, whether or not we have evidence, right? And uh, but you're right. They're sort of like, all right, here we go and look for the thing. I, they didn't pull the uh, with the other movie we did, Baba Yaga, where they're like, you know, lovers, whatever. You make stuff up, and you know. Um, oh, they were they were though. The police were like, eh, that's young right. People, you have these that's imaginations. Right. Yeah, you, you and your imagination. It's like eh, you young people. I got, I got better things to do than go to the police station and make yeah. up stories and have you drive out there. And you know, missing people that like that all takes time. Yeah. You know, so in the moment, they were just like, there's no village there that couldn't have happened. And nowhere do they say, well, maybe you were in a village, but you're mistaken about where it was. And what are the names of the people? Maybe we should try What's to find them. What's the license them. plate of the bus, for example? Not, none, of, none of this. Nope. None of this. All right. So anyway, the end. You know, there is no, there is no, a lot of these movies, they do have like that last, the end on the screen, or they have that last is or it is it type of thing there's no they just go yeah they just go into the credits that's it that's all we get no explanations about anything <laughs> i don't know i'm satisfied it's the whole thing wiped itself off the map you know eh. <laughs> it's kind of like the movie yeah. the movie's over the town's over by the way what's the name of the town antonia close i think i think it's tanya but Oh, ta- or Tanya. Yeah, T-O-N-I-A. And Tanya? T-O-N-I-A, I think. Because I, I used it for the character in the background. But I, I found that out like eight times going through the dialogue because there's a quick reference. And, of course, you know, because it's translated, you don't always know if you're hearing the right things. But I was curious because I was like – because they talk about – they're like, there's no whatever, na- insert name of town. 
Um, but oh well. Farewell, Tanya. Farewell, Con- Countess. Farewell, Orgy. <laughs> it's like good night, Moon. Good night, Orgy. <laughs> Farewell. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now I really want to write something in the style of good night, Moon. Or good night. Good night, vampires. Good night, Tonya. Good night. Good night, vampires. <laughs> Extra finger. Good night, ghost Good night, boy. maggots. Good night. <laughs> I may write that. I may take it out oh, and man. write that. Okay, so the big question. Is it a horror movie or something else? Oh, wait. You're asking me? <laughs> uh, I'm asking first? you. It's I'm a valid first. question. Uh, yes. It is, this, this wants to be a horror movie so bad. Uh, it's a horror movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is. I yep. think it's pretty clear. It's pretty clear mm-hmm. it's a horror movie. It's not, it's not anything mm-hmm. else in any kind of way. <laughs> it's like, let's see. Let's count how many horror movies. There's vampires. Mm-hmm. Okay. Vampire mm-hmm. horror movie. There's mm-hmm. cannibalism. Cannibalism body horror mm-hmm. movie. There's a mm-hmm. ghost child. So there's a ghost yep. child movie. Like, it's like three separate kinds yep. of horror. There's not an orgy. That's horrifying after you expected it. Well, there, and then, there, oh, and then there's the big man with mm-hmm. an axe who just attacks people. Like, I'm like, is there no squirrels? Or, and by like, the way, no... where was that big dude when they needed him to stop people from escaping the village? Like, he just disappears off screen after. Yeah, he He mostly causes trouble with the villagers. Here's the thing. Yeah, here's the thing, though. If he is actually human, and if some of them are human, and they are the Mm Renfield-type characters, they're the people that do all of the daytime things to keep... Of course, they would need food, too, so there would be... I don't know. It doesn't understand. But you would think that at night that they would be hiding somewhere, and they would be away. But no, because he explains that there was, like, a cloud... Over the town, and that's why Lewis yeah. says there's never any right. daylight. Which we, no we daylight. Keep, the, the film is so grainy, and it's all sort of dark. You like you never really, really have a sense of day or night, and or like that no. that there's sunlight anywhere. Um, it's funny because they, I feel like they they wrote that in to be like, let's try and make this make sense. Oh, it's been cloudy. That's what it was. Okay, yeah. I guess that's how yeah. vampires work. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Let's just let's just go with that. Okay. Let's talk about giving this movie some ratings. How many knives, how many glasses of wine, and how many screams. Um, and just so you're prepared, Mike, just as we've done in the previous 26 episodes, I'm going to start with you. All right, so how many knives are we going to give this movie? And this is what is the body count? How scary was it? How, is, how gory was it? And did it live up to its title? Ooh, that last one is rough. Okay, Mike, how many knives are you going to give this movie? Well, you kind of outlined it, right? So you like go through your horror slash gore tropes. We've got uh, vampires ish, uh, zombies definitely, cannibalism definitely, uh, sort of body horror. Yep, children dying. Uh, yes, ghost children. Sure, uh, creepy voyeurism. Where weird masculine <laughs> tropes of dominance that doesn't seem particularly good in anybody's eyes, but unfortunately the script just you know, allows that to go. So yeah, I, I think this is, uh, this is up there in terms of quite a few people. I don't, I, I don't remember what the body count is for the bus. This is like seven. I never counted. I never counted. It's probably, I mean, you count. got the driver, obviously is the first one. You've got the cup, the kid and the mom. That's two. You've got uh, Ernesto. That's so now we're at four. Um, you've got two other guys. I don't remember their names. That's five, six. And then you got the, the tutor, uh, that's at least seven. So yeah. I think that's, I think it's seven. But, uh, and then, you know, there's people losing limbs and, and fingers and such. And the countess, they do kill right. the countess. Yeah, well, okay. Um, yeah. So uh, this is pretty good. I mean, I, I want to give it a four. I would agree. 
I'm going to give it a four. And remember, this is not an indicator of the quality <laughs> of the movie. This is just as Mike outlined: body count, scary, gory, living up it's to gross. this title. I think it. I think yeah, it's gross. It's for sure, hundred percent. Probably one of the grosser okay. ones, honestly. Absolutely, and and very traditional as we think of it, modern horror. Yeah. All right, let's move on to glasses of wine. And this is, was it fun to watch? And did it have any unique moments? What was the flavor like of this movie? How many glasses of wine are you going to say, Mike? This movie was rough for me. It's interesting because there's a lot going on. Depending on the film quality, there's a lot of things you can see. As you mentioned, goiters and you know what you see matters a lot. It actually affects the film's value, I think, in terms of rewatching it. Um, there's definitely translation challenges that probably affect how much you appreciate it. So you have to focus a little bit. Like you really, there's actually a lot here, which I think makes the film interesting, but it doesn't really encourage you to go digging because it's just not necessarily, there's just a lot of disconnected uh, plots. The characters are kind of aggravating in almost every level. Uh, and, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to say that I was particularly concerned about anybody's welfare except maybe the the little girl but just about everybody else is like okay you know um so there wasn't really a a character to be like oh i'm really concerned for so and so um so that that unfortunately deprecates a little bit so you know on the one hand i i it's actually very rich uh with what it's trying to do uh it doesn't succeed in almost any of those things that it tries to do so i think i'm between two and a half and a three um, I guess, I don't know, I'm feeling somewhat charitable. I think I'd give it a three. I, you know, I would agree with you that it is a three. It brought something a little bit different to the vampire genre. Although part of the problem is, is that when you're watching these movies, like there's certain visual shorthand that you need to understand what's going on. So if it were not for having vampires in the actual title of the movie, I probably would have spent the first 45 minutes thinking that it was zombies. Okay. So on the one hand, it's like, okay, well, you're trying to bring something different to it. But on the other hand, should you though? Because that just makes it kind of confusing to, to your audience when you, when you are, when there's nobody, when there's no character that goes, Oh my gosh, they're vampires or something like that. Or until the countess pops out with her giant fangs, like, until that point, you really don't understand what's going on. And I guess you could even say that perhaps the Countess was the vampire and the other townspeople were something yep. else. Not really defined. But in any case, it was, it was honestly, it's kind of depressing to watch. <laughs> it's kind of depressing, <laughs> this movie. But it brought something different it definitely brought, brought something a little bit different and so and that's our rating system and uh since we made it up i guess we have to stick to it all right so now we're going to move into screams and this is not a average or a median of the other two ratings this is just our overall rating of the movie so how many screams do you think you want to give this movie mike yeah, this was it's a slog. I had difficulty remembering things. I don't know what the, it is about this film particularly. I don't know if it's the way it was filmed, the the voiceovers. I'm not sure, but I struggled with this. There's things you definitely caught that I was like, I don't remember that. Um, there's things that I caught only because I looked at the transcript, uh, you know, like the YouTube transcript. So uh, I, I feel like most people would struggle with this film. So, I, but but 
it's definitely different. It's got a lot of different things in it, as we mentioned. So I'm, I'm not as charitable because uh, I don't think it is quite as fun to watch as it is maybe to dissect. So I'll give it two and a half. Yeah. One of my measures of a good movie is can you watch it again and pull something different from it? Which this movie, absolutely. But I think that's mostly just because it was – it had too much going on and it was rather – yeah. A mess and but on the other hand it's like like somebody like the makeup department put those goiters on those people and you know what I mean like all of those little things and the prop department or the scouting department found these old buildings where it looked like these people were living like people did a hundred or more years ago so there was a lot of attention to detail in in those ways but it was really difficult to watch and to understand what was going on. And then also it was just very depressing and none of the characters really came through. And you had the final girl and then you had, you know, the final boy, I guess, except that he was despicable. He was despicable yeah. from the very first moment and not redeemable at all. And hopefully at some point Alma figures out what he was doing the whole time and that he did seem to be mostly motivated by trying to isolate her from the rest of her group, which is an awful thing to do. And basically letting those people be sacrificed <laughs> in order for him to leave with her, including sacrificing Raquel and Violet. Didn't even go looking yeah. for them at all. No heroism. He, he he feels like a fan fiction insert. That's the way I would put it. Like, he just feels like somebody was like, you know what? I want to be the hero of the story. He has nothing. He doesn't have any of the background or, or, you know, issues with the van, with the bus. He has none of that. We actually don't even know what he does. I also don't know how he repairs his car. Whatever it was right. that was cut. Then he's he's like, like, I fixed it. Like, really? Yeah. Um, but he just he just sort of has like he's completely disconnected from everything other than to be the male hero. Right. And look, that's saying things about the writers and it's also saying about the 70s and potentially Spanish culture at the time. I don't know. Take your pick. None of it's good. No, none of it's good. Oh, I have to give it a rating. All right. Um, I'm going to give it two, <laughs> yes. I'm going to give it two and a half. I'm going to I'm going to leave it at that. I don't feel this is the first time you and I have been exactly. I know. Alive. I don't feel comfortable giving it any anything better than that just because of those those issues. All right, Mike, you have created a character that goes along with this movie. Who is the character that is available for people to download and use in their tabletop role-playing games as a villain? So this is one of those movies that, because it does a lot of world-building, even though it's disconnected and scattered and, and we have concerns with how it comes together, it's rich enough to sort of be very D&D villain uh Ingredient. So uh, I use the Countess. Um, she's one of the top big bads of uh, the Gothic Villains collection. Um, rightly so, I think. Uh, but she's also sort of a traditional vampire in the sense that she has a couple of things that make her powerful. Uh, but she's tied to the town, Tanya. That's why I brought that up because it took me multiple listens to figure out what the heck the name of the town was. Uh, and she's pretty much what you see on screen, um, which is she is this kind of has the town in her thrall. She's kind of using the town to sort of, you know, fuel her. Uh, and she lures strangers in using some of the other powers, which is great because in 
in fifth edition, um, layer actions allow you to do some of the stuff that happens, right? Which is, you know, cloudiness all the time or whatever. So that her lair is the town, uh, which is interesting, right? So it's not sort of like she's not in an underground cavern. She doesn't have a temple. Her lair is the town itself. And I think that's a fun uh, approach that you don't normally get. So yeah, the Countess is our, is our villain and she is no slouch uh, at challenge rating 15, which means for... 15th level characters potentially could take her on, but she's not easy. Um, so she, I, I, I actually enjoyed this villain uh, in the same way I enjoyed uh, Dr. Howell, which was from Death Warmed Up, because it was sort of the same thing. You have kind of this person who's behind the scenes, because you don't see the Countess that much until the end, but you sort of, they talk about her a lot. You know, she's in, the Countess will take care of it. So I, I liked the idea, and I think uh, she makes a pretty good villain, actually. Not a great movie, pretty good villain. Right, so... She's a vampire, so what are her stats? Are they traditional of what you would see from a vampire, or what did you include? Um, well, she's got a couple things that make her interesting. Uh, she's, so vampires, generally speaking, have like 18 and everything, so she's sort of in that zone. You know, it's interesting because they make it a point of how strong she is in the movie, right? So, like, it, you'll see it on, in the poster, too. That she's holding a young man as if she was like a bodybuilder, so just holding him up. Right. So there's there's a sort of visual language that just says she's not someone to mess with. So we have that. I, I, I love that idea that she's so strong. She can just throw you around. Um, she actually can do it. So she has the ability to uh, obviously charm people. Uh, we sort of imply maybe uh, Caesar wasn't just purchased. Maybe he was convinced through uh, supernatural means. And she can also make herself appeal or beautiful when she's may not be because she's a vampire but she has a couple other things my favorite being fling she can throw people like throw them out the window and uh, as i mentioned she has a few powers that affect the town like call the village which brings the vampire spawn those are her minions um by the way gigante is a vamp a zombie ogre with an axe and then she has track the prey which is for her to keep track of where the living humans are and then my favorite is orgy of violence uh, which causes the town folk to go into a frenzy and sort of be the zombies that we sort of saw on screen. So you add all that up, and she's um, she's not she's fairly simple, uh, straightforward. I wouldn't say simple. She's straightforward in how uh, she operates. Oh, the other thing is I gave her maggot escape. So in other words, she doesn't uh, turn to gas if you stab her. She turns to maggots, but maybe she can come back. So uh, I like I like that combination of stuff. But all that's on screen. You know whether or not that makes sense or that's what actually happens. It's all there. So uh, I enjoyed. Uh, taking the pieces and knitting it together. This is one of those villains that's very rewarding and makes the film more entertaining for me because the film is such a disjointed mess. But there's enough there. You go, oh, I, I can stitch it together and, and make it make some sense. Stitch it together. I'm thinking of the the maggots. I'm thinking of Oogie Boogie. Yeah. And, and Oogie Boogie is, is literally like a bunch of insects encompassed by sackcloth. Yeah. So, yeah. so interesting as a villain. All right. So uh, I forgot, actually, that vampires are 18 and everything. It's been a really yeah. long time since, as a player character, I came up against a vampire. But I do remember notable times coming up against vampires. And, oh, my gosh. Like, it, they're right up there with, like, dragons. Like, you don't ever want to mess with one. Yeah. So in the movie, they're in the countryside, in the mountains. It's not likely you're going to come across her. But... Where do you think that a game master can put the Countess into their gameplay? Yeah, so, I mean, as we sort of mentioned, the Countess is Tanya, and Tanya is the Countess, so it's her lair. 
Um, she has the ability to conceal it. She actually has regional effects, so she can sort of make the sky cloudy so the vampires can come out. Um, she can actually conceal it. Again, these are all explanations for things that happened in the movie that got no explanations. She also can cause creepy children to appear um, and uh, and can cause you to get lost and sort of uh, be way late. So all that really does mean, <laughs> yeah, she comes with the town. You can't really put her on this ocean. I mean, you could. I mean, I'm surprised you could do that. But the, the value of the character is very much she has a town under her thrall and the town in some ways protects her. So uh, she's very much an isolated town character. There's not a lot of villains we have like that, but this is one of them that, like I said, she's she's almost part of the terrain uh, in that sense, which I think is great. I think it makes her interesting and also means you can plop her in anywhere because this Tanya is feels disconnected from time and space. And uh, she could be operating there unseen because she can conceal the town for decades or centuries, which, again, the movie implies, but who knows? Right. And I think there are a lot of horror movies that you can sort of think of as uh, a D&D game, truly. But this one in particular, and I wasn't really thinking about it in any of the times that I watched it, but it is. It really is. These people show up in this town and something weird is going on and they're trying yeah. to figure it out and they're getting picked off one by one. And that's literally what would happen. So you could really model the gameplay after what goes on in this movie, truly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and look, you got like, what, seven people. Yeah. Um, which is your adventuring party size. Yeah. You know, one of them's a bard. One of them's a, right. uh, yeah. a, like a gardener. Like, I don't know, a druid. Right. Like, what? Like you could, right. yeah, you could, maybe people should watch this movie before they decide to use the Countess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, if you look at it from that lens, it's a whole different conversation. I, I'm always wary of doing that because I, I do people think people are like, okay, well, <laughs> it doesn't make the movie less of a slog, but it does. It, it's an interesting point to sort of see how you could use it for ideas. But I, I found it rich. Again, I'm not going to let the movie off the hook. No. For that reason. But yeah, I think I think there's plenty to work with. And The Countess was fun. I liked I liked putting, you know, this together. And it, she kind of wrote herself. There's definitely villains where I struggle. Um, but she wasn't one of them. Yeah. She showed up and said, uh, let's do this, bro. Mm-hmm. You know what was interesting uh, about the movie? You got too? it, Countess. You want me to stay over? I'm right there. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Mike can be bought. So, but in the movie, it was interesting too because they, not so much with the townspeople that were the vampires or the zombies, however you want to look at it, but when the bus people became vampires and then with the countess and also Raquel, the actresses, and particularly the woman that played the countess, was a very beautiful German actress. But when she was in her vampire face, like really scary and terrifying, like almost to the point where I was like, is this the same actress? Mm -hmm. You know, truly. So whatever the makeup department did there, they did a great job. All right, Mike, people are going to want to find out where they can download this character and all of the others from this series. Where can they do that? So we have two places. Um, we release one character a week. We've been we've been keeping the streak up. I can't believe We're it. Doing We're doing good. The streak up. We're doing good. We are doing good on uh, patreon.com slash Talion, S-T-A-L-I-E-N. That's my Patreon. Uh, we release it for free, and free means that it's open to the public. It's not for anybody who's supporting uh, our Patreon. But they, So it's available there. Uh, but if you're a supporter, 
you can also get it as part of your support. So if you decide to pledge, uh, I think at the third level, third tier, you get access to this and many other things, many other books and D&D books uh, and supplements, which is 5e Foes Gothic Villains. So 5e Foes Gothic Villains com- puts all this together. And I will say that the Countess is not sort of an independent entity. She really does need other people, right? So she has Vampire Spawn. She has her... She has Gigante, which is the the ogre zombie with an axe, which of course you know makes him even bigger than he was in the movie. But it, I, so they're they're all detailed in there. You don't get that in the free version because there's uh, I have sections of of some of the other stuff, the NPCs that support them, and sort of how they work together. The Countess is also a great boss, big boss. So uh, in in that supplement in the five EFOs Gothic villains, it sort of knits them together and talks about how they may work together as well. So uh, you're absolutely welcome to check that out. If you support us now, if you don't want to do that and just want to buy the supplement, it's on Drive Through RPG, um, as these podcasts are, which we've been releasing as well. So um, on Drive Through RPG, Five uh, E Foes Gothic Villains is under our Malin Talon print, and uh, it's available for sale there. So uh, this supplement, which is a monster book, really villain book, NPC book. I've never made an NPC book, by the way. This is the sort of the first one is compatible with Five E RPG Gothic Adventures. And that sort of culminates a lot of the work I've done in horror and bringing it to D&D all together and, and provides a lot of the rules around madness and sanity. So if you want your character to flip out when they start eating human flesh or figure out that they've been eating human flesh, uh, there's rules there. So this book is meant to go hand in hand with that one. And uh, so we have a couple packages. We have the package that if you just want this book, you can get it. Uh, and you can also get it bundled with all the podcasts that have come before that we've released. So you get that as one big package or you can get... Uh, the monster book, the 5e foes, gothic villains with 5e RPG, gothic adventures together as a bundle as well. So we have plenty. You can just buy it. If you want to just buy it on its own, you absolutely can do that, but you can get it that way as well. So we've got patron supporting uh, ways. We've got uh drive through RPG. And of course we have it for free. Um, and the countess will make her de- debut soon enough. All right. So it's very choose your own adventure, whatever you decide <laughs> yes. to do. There's lots of content that is available for free. And of course, always you can support by like and share and comment below. That is helpful for all of the things that we put out. And I will put all of the social media information in the show notes as well as I always do. Okay, I think that's everything. I think we have covered The Vampire's Night Orgy from 1973, a Spanish horror movie. I think the first Spanish movie that we've covered it might be the only one in this series so very interesting and also rated r Mm, i think we had one other rated r movie a lot of them are not rated and and i think this one mostly for the nudity that was in it and again if you watch it on youtube it does contain everything so just be aware of that all right mike how you feeling anything else to add sorry about the orgy (laughs) keep going back to this I know that's pretty, you said it. Uh, I think people go into this assuming one thing, they they get orgy of violence, which I think you can say is true, but it's not the phrase they were thinking. Look, there is still nudity in there. So sorry, it's boring. Here's some boobs. But um, I do think uh, for better or worse, people were trying to play this movie up and uh, it probably worked um, before the age of the internet. So, uh, you know, we've, but if there was any doubt, we have made it quite clear what this film is really like. Yeah. Well, before there was porn around every corner, sometimes you're not even looking for it. It just comes up. Uh, And there is only the one (laughs) sex scene in this movie. 
and it's really not all that interesting, unfortunately. So, all right, that'll do it for the Vampire's Night Orgy from 1973. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you on the interwebs. Thank you so much, Mike, for working up the character and for going through this movie and all of the previous ones with me. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to 50 Date Night Screams. Be sure to check the show notes to learn where you can watch this movie for free. The quality isn't always the best when streaming, so we've also included a link to where you can purchase it. You can also get much more information, including the characters from this and all the 50 Date Night Screams episodes at betrayon.com slash Italian. Until next time, don't stop screaming. 50 Date Night Screams is a production of Mal and Tal Enterprises. It is written, produced, and directed by Amber and Mike Tresca. Tell me about what you're drinking. Uh, it's dyed iced tea. It's not nearly as fun and alcoholic as I would hope. Okay. I will be drinking wine. I will be ordering dinner. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs>